2: One thing I think that's important from a food safety standpoint is that if you don't have a butcher you trust, you can buy a meat grinder yourself. You can buy the KitchenAid attachment and you can grind whole muscles at home rather than buying the meat ground because it can be so great for babies.
0: Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. Hey guys, all right, I have the coolest episode planned for you today. I am so excited about our guest. She is a butcher. It's Cara Nicoletti from Seymour Meats and Veggies. She's based out of Brooklyn and you guys, she knows everything about meat and she's gonna help us demystify meat for baby-led weaning. Cara is a fourth-generation butcher, and in today's episode, she's going to be sharing her ideas on how to identify some ideal cuts of meat for babies. Because I get it, meat can be overwhelming, right? It can be confusing, especially if you don't eat a ton of it or you're not used to purchasing it and cooking it and making it safe for your baby. But if your family eats animal products, meat can be a fabulous food to feed your baby, right? It's rich in iron. It offers unique texture and flavor and taste opportunities for your baby, but we have to be so careful about how we prepare and offer meat that we're serving to babies because not every cut and not every preparation method of every type of animal is safe for baby led weaning. So, today, Kara is going to help us narrow down some cuts of meat that you might consider as you start exploring meat with your baby. So, with no further ado, here is fourth generation butcher, Kara Nicoletti, helping us identify some ideal cuts of meat for babies. Katie, thank you so much for having me. ok. Before we dive in about identifying some ideal cuts of meat for baby led weaning, can you give our audience a little background about yourself and how did you come to be a butcher?
2: I'm actually a fourth generation butcher. So I really grew up in the industry. My company, Seymour Meats and veggies, is actually named after my grandfather Seymour. We just kind of tweaked his name spelling from s e y m o u r to s e e m o r e as like a nod to our promise of transparency. So, I've been working as a butcher for like the last 12 years, but really grew up around it. And my company now is making sausages with humanely raised meat and 35% fresh vegetables. That is amazing because we're
0: going to talk a little bit about sausage and some different cuts of meat. I'm just curious for people, like if you did not grow up in a family of butchers, my mother-in-law's family, they were butchers and it was definitely like a generational thing. Is there a school you go to to learn how to be a butcher or is it like a trade you have to learn from someone who's been in the industry?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that it is sort of old fashioned in, in the way that it is a trade that you kind of have to learn from somebody else. When you go to culinary school, I know that they do have courses on meat and, you know, meat fabrication and, and animals, breaking animals down. But so much of butchery is just muscle memory and doing the same thing over and over again. You kind of just have to like do it.
0: I think it's so overwhelming what you see like in culinary school, I know in nutrition, in some of our classes, you had to, you know, learn all the different cuts of meat from the different animals. And I was like, okay, like there's a few that I might recognize from the grocery store, but there's so many. And then they're called different things if you're in the different part of the country. So if you move, you're like, wait, it used to be called a pork butt, but here it's a Boston butt
2: or a shoulder. So the U.S. has like no sort of standardization of naming um, because we're an amalgamation of so many different cultures, which means we're an amalgam of so many different ways to cut. So that can be something that's really frustrating is is the naming of
0: cuts. So I think it's frustrating, but also I think meat can be so intimidating. And so our audience, mostly parents or caregivers of babies who are starting solid foods around the six month mark, or if they're babies before that, they're learning about it. We talk all about the benefits of iron and nutrition and they know the texture options when they're offering meat. But again, it can be so intimidating when you get to the grocery store. So any tips for parents who are just kind of, venturing into the wide world of purchasing meat that you could offer if they do feel overwhelmed or intimidated by the meat counter or the butcher
2: shop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a, a really great place to start is just by going to a butcher shop or even if it's like an online source instead of just a supermarket where there's a meat case, just so that you have a point person that you can actually talk to about what you're buying. A lot of times at the supermarket you're just buying sort of a cryopacked thing with a label on it and there's no one That you can ask about, you know, like where it was sourced from, how fresh it is, but also the cut itself, what the muscle structure is like and how it is best prepared. And another thing, of course, is is the naming, which you just mentioned, which you could go to one shop, one place, it could be called sirloin flap, but another it's bavette, another it's flat meat, somewhere else it's faux hanger. So just having a point person who you can ask questions to and even call if something goes wrong and ask questions to is just huge.
0: All right, let's talk lean versus fatty cuts of meat. I know all animals are different, but when it comes to feeding babies, ideally we want lots of fat. So fat equates to moisture. Moisture helps reduce babies' risk of choking. We kind of want to steer clear of like the really lean cuts of meat for babies, which as a dietitian, is really hard because you grow up teaching people like, oh, you don't want to eat saturated fat and chicken breast is all protein. But that's like the exact opposite of what we want to do for babies. So can you give us just like maybe a brief overview of what, Fattier cuts of meat are? And what does that mean if you're selecting cuts for your baby?
2: Basically, I think a really good starting point is just that, like, all four legged animals have essentially the same muscle structure. So, if you think about the way an animal's body moves, you can kind of glean what parts on the animal will be fatter or leaner and tougher, sort of from constant movement, and what muscles kind of just are like sitting there growing fatter and more tender. So, while the fat content of a species will change according to you know what it is. It will also change because of breed and age, what it's fed, how it moves. But the leanest and fattiest parts on any four-legged animal are roughly the same. So that gives you kind of a good baseline. And then I can just talk about sort of what those leaner and fattier Please, parts like, are. Please, like what is
0: the loin? What yeah. that part is always so confusing? What's the round?
2: Yeah, so the round is the back leg and that is always pretty lean, no matter what animal that you're working with, there are a couple exceptions to that. One is a steak called the oyster steak. Sometimes it's also called the spider steak. That's going to be something that you find in like more of a specialty butcher shop. It's sort of a butcher's cut that we used to save for ourselves, but it's this tiny little single serving steak that sits like inside the hip bone and it has this spider web of really beautiful fat on it. So you can always ask for that and see if they have it. Another exception would be the shank, which you know, like on veal would be asabuco, but you could get the shank from any animal. You can get it from a sheep, a pig, a cow. And that is a really great braising cut. So it has a lot of not only fat, but also sort of gelatin built into it. And then it's surrounding that beautiful marrow bone. So it's gonna have a nice amount of fat in it. And you can braise it for a long time till it's like shreddable. So when you're looking at the round, I would say probably avoid all other cuts besides that. Like you want to avoid the top round, the sirloin tip, the Merlot steak, the eye of round. I would say the two cuts from the leg are probably the shank and the oyster.
0: We're going to link to some resources in the show notes where you guys can learn more because some of these cuts are like really good from a flavor standpoint. But if they're solid pieces of meat that we can't easily shred with our fingers, we're going to save those for mom and dad. You mentioned a few though that I love for baby led weaning. Chuck roast is like my absolute favorite because you can cook it low and slow and it gets nice and soft and shreddable and we can serve it with a lot of extra juice. The babies make a mess out of it, but they love to suck on it. There is some iron transfer that can happen there, but it's nice and soft and much safer than some of these solid pieces of steak. So I love chuck roast. I also love brisket for babies. And I was curious, you mentioned like braising meats. So that's like, you know, moist heat cookery where we're using a lot of liquid to help break down those muscle fibers. Could you share about maybe chuck roast and brisket, which I don't know like what the reputation of those cuts are, but in the baby led weaning world, like we love them because the end product is so amazing for babies.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, any cut on an animal's body is great. Like all, all cuts are usable, maybe not so much for baby led weaning, but I love a chuck roast and I love a brisket. Those are two cuts that I grew up eating a lot. They're also great from a price point perspective. But they are like the brisket is is one of those cuts that has sort of a long muscle striation. So it's going to be really shreddable. But what's nice is that you can slice it and still have whole pieces, but they'll still shred in your hands. And it's the same with the chuck roast. So they have a great amount of marbling throughout, intermuscular marbling, um, and that's going to help keep them really moist. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp.
0: If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit BetterHelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. Okay, can I ask you a question about country style ribs? Because my sister and I, okay, I have seven kids. My sister has six kids. Like we are all about the affordable sources of protein. And when I was working on a ton of meat content, we do a meat week right before Thanksgiving every single year, because Thanksgiving can be really anxiety-inducing for parents if it's the first time that baby's gonna be eating in front of other family members who maybe you don't usually eat with, and you know they want you to spoon-feed pureed peas, and we're like, hey, here's how babies can safely eat turkey. So we do five days of content, a different meat each day, the week before Thanksgiving to help parents practice getting used to these different types of meat. So we're going through and preparing all of this content. And so we're going through the different cuts of meat and like the country style ribs, don't laugh, but I didn't realize like you could get both pork and beef because I always just buy the pork ones at the store. But beef country style ribs, we're realizing are really nice for making like, it's kind of a mixed bag, as you say, right? Like there's a good amount of fat in there, but you can cook them low and slow. You can end up with a shreddable product. And we like to have like longer strips of meat that are about the size of a baby's pinky finger. So we don't do like burnt ends or really small pieces because they can't pick it up before they have their pincer grasp. So. Can you talk to me about country style ribs? Like, is that a cut that like the butcher saves for themselves? Are you like trying to get rid of that one? I'm just curious.
2: (laughs) Well, so when I was growing up, we called it Fonkin on beef, at least. That was sort of a section of the rib that was like fattier. And yeah, it was kind of a butcher's cut. It was kind of something that we would take home with us. A lot of times places will just grind that meat because it has such a good fat to lean ratio, but it's gorgeous as sort of a, a brazeable cut that you can cut into long strips. So yeah, the country style ribs on a pig would be like flunkin or short ribs on beef. Okay. So can we switch and talk about
0: the pig now? Because lots of things we steer clear from in pig cookery, sausage, ham, just because of the added sodium component. And then anything with the casing could be a potential choking hazard, but we do stay away from added sodium. So it kind of makes a lot of the cuts of pig a little bit obsolete, but it makes it easier. My Favorite cut of meat for babies from a pig is a pork butt, which I've realized as I work with parents from all over the country and the world, it's called different things depending upon where you live. So pork butt or a pork shoulder or a Boston butt, because you can cook it, again, low and slow, or you can pressure cook it. We can do it with very minimal sodium, lots of juice. It ends up with like nice shreddable strips. And then you can fry it up or crisp it up for yourself after and add all the salt you want besides the pork butt. Can you think of other cuts of meat from a pig, that work nicely for getting those soft, shreddable pieces of meat that babies can easily eat?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think sometimes you're going to see some of those cuts from the shoulder separated out. So if you ever see copa in the store, you should definitely get it. That's sort of the eye of the shoulder. That's the prize part. Um, And you can braise that and get a really nice shredded texture. Also, hocks. I know it would seem, you know, obviously not like a smoked salted hock, but just a fresh hock. So that's going to be your shank. That's going to have a lot of nice fat throughout it and also sort of gelatinized while it's cooking with connective tissue, um, which is really nice. Then you have the fat from the bone. So I would say shank is a really nice option if you are looking to save a little bit of money. That's a good one.
0: I love that. We always want to suggest the cuts that are also affordable because in many cases, like the whole family is eating this. Like we also do a lamb day a meat week and it does involve usually a boneless or bone-in leg of lamb, which again, if you cook it low and slow, like even though there's not a ton of fat in there, it can be very, very flavorful and safe for baby to eat. Well, it's like 30 bucks for a small cut of meat. I'm like, listen, I don't normally endorse buying a $30 piece of meat, but babies eat very small portions. And if you make the whole thing and you portion it and freeze it, like you've got lamb forever for your baby, basically from one $30 purchase. So I love that you mentioned, you you can use the whole entire animal it might not all be appropriate for babies, but the family can at least benefit from having different cuts that maybe baby can't.
2: Yeah. And I love that you're promoting lamb because it's we eat it so rarely in the States and it's so good for you. So
0: yeah, people are like, wait, lamb and it's not Easter. I was like, yes, you can do it.
2: But what's so cool is we have such an
0: international audience that are like Middle Eastern families would be like, okay, we eat lamb all the time. Like, here's how we do it. And so we can share their recipes as well. Um, I wanted to ask you next if it's okay about ground beef because we kind of think of ground beef as like a gateway meat for parents that are like, okay, I'm not really down with like my baby eating strips of lamb on day four of baby led weaning. Although many of you guys do, and that's great. But some parents like ground meat as a way to kind of transition. So instead of just like grinding it up and putting it on the plate, because if it's very small pieces, baby can't eat it. We put it into forms that basically like a patty and then cut it into strips about the size of an adult pinky finger so the baby can use their whole hand grasp to pick it up and feed it to themselves. What should we be on the lookout for When we go to buy ground beef, because I know like in the past, if you think about, you know, foodborne illness outbreaks from, you know, undercooked ground beef products, parents sometimes get like wigged out by ground meat. And then also my second part of the question is like, I think a lot of parents only think of ground beef, but you can grind all of the other types of meat and introduce your baby to it that way. So could you share any insight you have about ground beef or ground meat? Excuse me.
2: Well, first of all, any meat can be ground really. So you can have ground turkey or chicken, ground pork, ground lamb. Some shops will do hybrids of things like ground beef with bacon, which probably you wouldn't want for a kid because there's salt in it. But you can also, if you're doing poultry, you can ask if they have any extra fat or skin to sort of grind in so that it's really nice and moist because poultry, ground poultry can dry out pretty quickly. One thing I think that's important from a food safety standpoint is that if you don't have a butcher you trust or someone who you're buying meat from that you trust, you can buy a meat grinder yourself, you can buy the kitchen aid attachment, and you can grind whole muscles at home rather than buying the meat ground. Like the general rule is that the more whole a muscle is, the like safer it is because it's touched less hands and has less surface area for it to come in contact with bacteria. So because ground meat is sort of the furthest thing from whole muscle, you just want to make sure that you're buying it from a source that you really really trust. Because it can be so great for babies. So just buy it from someone that you feel good about and you feel like their place is clean. But yeah, you can grind any meat. I don't know if this is a no-no, you'll have to tell me, but we ate a lot of liver growing up.
0: Oh, dude. It's like the best food. I got a whole podcast episode on liver. It's like literally the most nutrient dense. It is the most iron-rich food out there. So tell me all about liver.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We ate a lot of ground liver. We ate it like sauteed up, but also my mom would put it into mousses. So kind of Mix it with, it sounds gross, but like mix it with cream cheese and caramelized onions and make sort of like a dippable mousse.
0: Way better than plain liver.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have a real taste for like a real affinity for poultry liver. I know it's not for everyone, but I think poultry liver specifically is a really great gateway for kids because it's a lot milder than something like a beef or a pork liver. So that's also something that you could ask for ground and kind of saute it up. You just want to be careful that you're cooking it all the way through
0: we did a whole episode on liver and then kind of surveyed our audience because again, the way people prepare liver around the world is totally different. Like I, for two and a half years, lived in Nepal. I was a Peace Corps volunteer and I was in a Hindu community. So like no beef and then a lot of goat, not steamed like butchery techniques for the most part in the village where I lived. Like they would just hack the heck out of an animal. So it was like, there was like tubules in the animal. You know, you'd have like a stew with bones floating in it. And, but like whoever got the liver, like that was the deal. We were always like, you know, this is like, pregnant moms and you know good source of iron because there's not a lot of it to go around so it's definitely prized in certain communities and it's funny that we like in other food cultures kind of turn your nose up at liver but is such a nutrient-dense food okay back to ground meat you mentioned grinding your own like I actually have the KitchenAid grinder attachment and I've never used it to grind meat so what cuts of meat would you grind yourself I get you said like the more intact the muscle is but like, if you're just going to pick it out how do you know what is good for grinding?
2: Yeah, I know. And I think like when you say whole muscle, it sounds sort of intimidating, but a whole muscle could literally be a chicken breast. That's a whole muscle. So I would say for poultry, you're going to want to grind the dark meat, which is the legs and the thighs. So you can just debone those and put them through your grinder. Um, You just want to be really careful that all the bones are out. So you could buy a deboned chicken leg and thigh and grind those through. Basically, you're looking for the best fat to lean ratio for a baby. So a chuck roast would actually be something like that chuck cut would be something that would be really great for grinding. It's going to have a nice amount of fat. Really, I would say any of the cuts that you want your baby to eat whole would also be great for grinding. And it's great because you have control also of like cleaning that grinder. Something that makes it easier with a home grinder is just keeping things really cold. So if you want to grind chicken, for example, I would just sort of par freeze those things before you put them through the grinder and it will help it go through the machine.
1: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You repel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
0: Okay, can I ask you a food safety question? We're like talking about keeping, you know, of course, the kitchen clean and some of the concerns about ground meat would come from like the whole processing of them. If there's any breakdown in the food safety system, then obviously we're at risk for foodborne illness. And we do want to be aware of that for babies who are still developing immune systems as a dietitian, we always learn in our different nutrition courses about, you know, internal cooking temperatures to prevent foodborne illness. And then for people that come from the culinary side, like a lot of times they scoff at those temperatures and they claim, listen, if you actually cook to what the USDA says, like the final product would be so tough that nobody wants to eat it. So any thoughts on cook temps as like the impartial butcher?
2: (laughs) Well, I would say, I mean, obviously it's going to be different if I'm selling it to my customers for them to eat. And if their kids are eating it, I would say If your babies are eating it, always err on the side of caution when it comes to cook temps. Adult stomachs are a lot more able to handle foodborne illnesses than babies. So, you know, I don't think your baby is going to turn up its nose if you cook to the USDA recommended temperatures. I think that's probably your safest bet. Certainly some muscles will tense up if you cook them for longer, but I think braising is a really great way around that because you're cooking it to a really solid internal temperature, but it's not getting tough.
0: Now, I'm not sure how many people listening buy their meat at a butcher versus a traditional grocery store. It kind of depends on where you live geographically. But now with so many home-delivered meal services, but also food services and meat subscription boxes and programs like that, it is possible to get a wider variety of meat than you might have in your geographical location. And I was curious if you could share some benefits of utilizing the services of a local butcher like yourself, if available. I mean, you're in Brooklyn, New York. I'm sure your availability is different than mine in the suburbs of San Diego, but also your thoughts on like shipping meat around the country as well, like in order to increase our variety. But you know, I'm sure that comes with some downsides as well. Just curious to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Well, I mean, I'm a big fan of subscriptions like Butcher Box, um, because I think that they're doing a great job of introducing people to cuts that maybe they didn't know about before. They're doing whole animal utilization, which is wonderful. If you don't have a butcher shop that you can go to in your area, those things are always available to you. Same with like, if you don't have a farmer's market in your area, those are kind of like great alternatives to those things. But I would also say, however you can make it work for your family is okay. Like if you trust the source, if you feel good about cooking it, if you can afford it, if it's nourishing your baby, like I would never judge where you shop for it. I just think in general having a point of contact for the meat that you buy is important. So even if you're buying from a subscription like, you know, an online meat subscription, there's someone you can email and say like, where did this meat come from or how do I cook this? And I think that's important.
0: I like the point of contact. Like we actually get Butcher Box in our family and I'm an affiliate for them. We do one large custom box a month to serve 10 of us in my house. And that's all the protein I buy for the month. Like my husband's from Texas. He wishes we ate meat a lot more frequently than we did. But it kind of makes you I think also, again, I have a limited budget with feeding a lot of people. I want to invest in buying higher quality meat, but then I have to be very conscientious of the portion size. So from a nutrition standpoint, less reliance on animal protein. I'm not saying none, but like eating better quality, but smaller portions of it. There's some benefits to that. And I know you mentioned your sausages that you guys are doing are what, like 35% vegetables. And while we don't normally recommend sausages for babies, obviously because of the sodium content, and then anytime you cut encased meat in the shape of a coin, it could potentially be a choking hazard. So if you guys do do hot dogs or sausages, whatever, just make sure you cut them in matchstick shape. Could you talk about your sausages though? Because I think that's so interesting that you're incorporating plant protein as a butcher.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think This was sort of... I started making these sausages about 12 years ago when I was working in shops as a way really not only to get my customers to eat a little bit less meat, but also to help stretch the animals that we were using a little bit further and get them to people at a price point that made sense. So in the past, we talk about fillers in sausages and and hot dogs as like sort of a dirty word. And certainly some places it still is. Some places are putting all kinds of stuff into their products to stretch them further. But for us at Seymour, we're using fresh vegetables to make that humane meat more accessible to more people at a decent price point. So they come in really fun flavors. We have Bubby's Chicken Soup, which is, you know, it has carrots, celery, onions, dill, humanely raised chicken. We have chicken parm. We have a chicken kale pesto with basil. So lots of options for when your kids get older and we find that kids really, really like them the chicken ones don't have a casing on them and they can kind of hold them in their hands and kind of just gnaw on them.
0: That's kind of cool. Cause of this, the casing, sometimes I'm like, like yesterday we we're making something for dinner. My niece was over and she's like, why do they put them in the tube if you're just going to cut it off? I was like, well, I guess some people, you know, if you make like sausage and meatballs and the sausage maybe stays intact, but I always end up just cutting the casing off and mashing it around anyway. So.
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, I think people know. like that like snap. So we do that on the pork ones. We have three pork flavors, but the chicken ones, there's no casing at all. Um, and part of the reason is that we were seeing that kids were eating them a lot.
0: That's so cool. Well, I love the idea of you're like reframing the filler. Like, sure, call it filler, but if it's carrots and kale, like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Exactly. <laughs> Cara, tell us where our audience can go to learn more about you and the work you're doing, and then also hopefully to order some of the veggie heavy sausages.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so my personal Instagram is just my name, Cara Nicoletti. I mostly post about Seymour on there these days. So if you want more information on Seymour, our website is eatseymour.com and our Instagram is at eatseymour. Our products are in most whole foods on both coasts. We're in a slew of independents and small chains across the country. You can find a store locator on our website. And we also just launched in Imperfect Foods. We'll be at Thrive Market next month. And if none of that works for you, we ship all over the US from our website, eatseymour.com. And your
0: Eat Seymour Instagram is awesome. I was following your (laughs) personal one. And then I was like, no, wait a minute. I, if you want more sausage content, it's on her work page, but I'll link to all of them on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com slash 176. Cara, thank you so much for being here. This was so informational. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Katie. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Cara Nicoletti. Again, she's a fourth generation butcher. She is the owner of Seymour Meats and Veggies. So making those awesome sausages that are like 35% vegetables. Great for a little bit older kids because of the sodium. And we generally don't feed like encased meat products to babies early on in baby led weaning. But she mentioned her products are available now. Whole Foods, she's at Thrive Market. She's going to be, she's in um, Imperfect Foods. I think she's just kind of naming every single outlet. So like, hopefully you can get your hands on some of her amazing sausages that she's making with humanely raised chicken, kale, basil, pesto, caramelized onions. I mean, the whole nine. I think it's a good marriage of like plant and animal foods if you're so inclined. So check her out at eatseamore.com. I'm also going to link to all of the resources that Kara talked about in today's episode. And that'll be on the show notes, which you can find at blwpodcast.com slash 176. Thanks for being here. And I'll see you next time.